What I want to address this morning follows a very similar line to what Ryan was sharing. When I was a kid, we used to uh, we used to be playing different games, and if the thing didn't go the way that someone wanted, they would shout "Do over," you know, and. and uh, if they were persuasive enough, they'd get another chance, or if maybe dad was around and, and uh, pitching and, and the kid had struck out, uh, maybe dad would call out, do over. And uh, it, it all depended what side of the fence you were on, of whether you liked that phrase or not. But have you ever wished for that in regard to faith, you know, in regard to life with Christ? Uh, I think there are times when uh, regret does come into our hearts and our lives, and we wish for a do-over. What I want to suggest to you is that there is a great do-over, so to speak, in God. Listen to this out of Isaiah, and this is describing a new heavens and a new earth. It says, the former things will not be remembered or come to mind. That is powerful. In regard to our eternity, there is coming a day when even what's going on right now is not even remembered. What I want to suggest to you is that the implications of that are as if God truly removes things so far that they aren't even thought of, that the reality that we're living in now, when things have been turned over to him, in a sense, they're done. It's over. Now, some of, some of my blunders in foolishness has been colossal. I admit that. Um. You know, some of the things I've done, I, re- I remember it being almost five years before I'd forget about that foolishness, you know, a, on a daily basis, so to speak. Or it might be 30 years before I could address it publicly. Like, you know, I bring life experience into here, but some things, you know, you hold close enough to the vest that doesn't matter how often you speak, it's not coming out. But for me, one of the signs in my own life or my own thinking is that when I'm able to talk about it publicly, it's, it's done with the sting, so to speak. You know, that by the time it gets to you and it's out there in the open, I don't really care what you think of it or me or anything else. It's just there, you know. It's, it's an illustration for me, nothing more. That said... I look at a passage like this, and I'm kind of astounded that in our God, there is a release that's offered to us that you just can't find anywhere else. And the potential that this holds is powerful for every one of us. In the book of Micah, it says, He will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. I've always heard that described as a sea of forgetfulness. You know, it's just, it's in the water, you can't see it, it's gone, it's done. Probably shouldn't tell you this, but in my 
high school years, the whole thing of pollution started to gain traction where we were just kind of unaware of it till then. And I, I can remember in college going fishing with some buddies and, and uh, having a can of pop and some, some probably Twinkies or something of that ilk. And uh, when after I'd unwrapped everything, I just tossed it in the water. And one of my friends erupted. What are you doing? Hey, it just sinks. Never see it again. We, that's how we dealt with pollution. <laughs> Obviously, this is a different day. <laughs> don't do that anymore. I can talk publicly about it. No, I don't care. <laughs> there were bigger issues, <laughs> believe me. <laughs> but, you know, it's that being able to just release and never see it again, this illustration, sins in the sea, buried. Revelation, it says, the former things have passed away. You know, when he's describing eternity. It's just, it's done. So I look at that as the setup for how we deal with things now. Because if my sin truly has been released, that means that um, if, if it's forgotten in eternity, I can forget it now, right? I mean, if it's, if it's dealt with in a spiritual nature, you know, I've made this confession to God, and he said, okay, I'm, I'm cleaning the slate. I'm just washing it clean. Nehemiah makes this declaration that people had been hauled off for 70 years. They had gone through a, a disciplinary action from the Lord. But he recognizes the goodness of God. He says, you are ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. You didn't forsake them. And so the declaration is made, even though you brought discipline to our lives, this is who you are by nature. So when we're, when we're talking about who God is, this is his nature to be gracious and forgiving. So when, when we're going, please forgive me, it's not about me living up to standard or doing something better or getting to a place where it can, you know, where I've earned this, but rather it has to do with who he is as a being. And so it's his nature to be compassionate and gracious toward us. And so that's the privilege that we embrace when, when we walk into relationship with him. Second Chronicles has this thing, it says, you know, if, you humble, if they will humble themselves and pray, seek my face, you know this verse. It says, I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. That's what I, I commit to. That's what I promise. Psalm 32 says, happy or blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Happy is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. Paul quotes these verses in Romans chapter 4. You know, when, when we pull up these verses today, we're saying these are precious verses to us, right? 
when we, when we pull verses from Scripture, we're saying these are valuable verses. These are important. These are things that we try to keep in our consciousness because they, they affect our lives. They direct. Paul's saying these are precious verses. You know, the, the, the great apostle is saying these are valuable. <laughs> you know, and he starts quoting from Psalm 30, happy is the person whose sins are forgiven. Jeremiah makes this declaration regarding the covenant of God. In other words, the agreement that he makes with his people. I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. So when we come to 1 John and he says, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's a, this declaration, if I will confront this in him, if I will come to him and I will address it, he's willing to release me of it. Jesus on earth, you know, they were teaching, he was teaching them to pray, forgive us our sins as we forgive others. You know, release us from this. In fact, his conflict with the religious leaders had as much to do with this as anything that he was doing. You know, he would, he would say to someone, your sins are forgiven. The, the paralytic is one of the illustrations I brought up, but it's, you know, they, they brought to him a man that's a paralytic, <laughs> okay, paralyzed, and Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And Immediately, there's this anger in the group going, what is he doing? What right does he have to do this? Only God can forgive. And then Jesus blows him away going, oh, yeah, <laughs> go up and walk, you know, walk home. You know, in other words, you think that healing's impossible, and so I'm just spouting something? No, no. Let's, let's show that we have power over all things. And so with this power demonstrated of the ability to do something that none of us can do on our own, bring healing to someone in this manner, he does it and then he also has already made the declaration, your sins are forgiven. The disciples understood this and they realized that if Jesus is declaring this, that it also implicates that we're to be a forgiving people. You know, if our sins are forgiven then we are to forgive as well, just like in the prayer, forgive as we forgive others. And, and so the implication is that if we're going to embrace the forgiveness of our God and become like Him and identify with Him and be His people, then also we are going to be a forgiving people. And so the disciples, when they're hearing this, you know, and Peter comes up, well, how often? You know, seven times? And, and Jesus you know, just comes back to him and says, um, not seven, but 77 times. In other words, repeatedly. But the hope for us is that when I come to the Lord and I have repeated that I'm, you know, the repeat offender, that also that I am the repeated forgiven one. 
You know, if, if God calls us to this action on earth, it's only because he's willing to participate that way from heaven. And so what he's asking us to do is not anything different than what he does. Now, the, the family implications of that are amazing. But let's, uh, let's just hit a couple more. In Luke, this same thing is being declared. And, uh, you know, Jesus says, well, our Peter, what if it happens every day, repeatedly during the day? And Jesus says, yeah, forgive him. And the disciples' response is classic. Lord, increase our faith. How are we going to do this? How are we going to keep telling a person it's okay? How are we going to release them several times a day? And they're not, at this stage, they're not where increase our faith so we can see people healed or increase our faith so we can see someone raised. Increase our faith so we can forgive others. You know, really deal with our hearts so that we can release people. Luke, he says, forgive and you will be forgiven. So this is really important. There's a story in Genesis that I want to allude to as illustration because it's so valuable. You remember uh, Joseph had been sold by his brothers. They were going to kill him initially and decided it would be better to make some money off of him. And so they sold him into slavery. Now, you know, some of us have gone through family dysfunction, but rarely do we hit those levels. I mean, that's pretty significant. Uh, you know, I, I'm aware of stories with the family interactions and, and some of the things that have gone on are horrific. It's true. But in this particular story, uh, the guy is just sold. And the brothers go home and make up a story and tell dad that, you know, obviously something happened to him, but they cover their sin and, and they go about life. They are brought back to, uh, to face that when they have to bow before him and ask for help. And so many, many years later, they're, they're dealing with this thing. And, and, and he tells them, it's okay. You know, I release you. When their father dies, they come back to him again and say, oh, dad had one last request. He wanted you to release us. And, and, you know, and forgive us. So even after all these years, the offenders are the ones that are still carrying the baggage. It's a powerful idea. You know, if, if you refuse to uh, deal with things or address them, uh, those things keep rumbling around. There's a difference that I find even in, in the sting of the past over the memory, where at times those memories come up. But I think the significant difference is when they've been dealt with in the Lord is that they come up so that he can move us into greater health. It's not to bring the condemnation and saying, you were really bad and, and I just want to take another swat at you before I get you to heaven because I know I'm not going to deal with you there. That's not God. But when those memories come up, there's opportunity of moving us into further health. 
And so, you know, don't despise that, but rather address it and say, what do I need to do here? Sometimes it's going to a person and saying, let's make sure we're clean and things are good. You know, in some families, the training goes like this. When you're bad and you're nasty to someone, the next day you, you act twice as nice as you normally would, and then it's all evened out, so it's, it's okay. The only thing is, that doesn't work. And Well, you learn how to get along. Get along. Yeah, you learn how to live with each other and survive that, but it, it never really deals with the issues, and furthermore... You carry that weight on, both in guilt and the need to be forgiven, or, or the, the, uh, the woundedness, excuse me, of what's been done. So the offender and the offended, neither one is free in that moment, even though the offender is acting extra nice the next day. There has to be conversation that is willing to address and say, I was wrong. <laughs> That's the most complicated thing to teach a little kid, isn't it? I'm sorry. And, and, you know, they'll sit for two hours rather than say it. But as difficult as it is, a lot of adults still haven't learned to address the issue and say, I was the offender here, and what I did was wrong. Would you forgive me? Part of it is a fear of not being released. Or someone saying, I hate you. I will always hate you. But the thing is, in this particular story, I'm going back to Joseph. He had released it. He was the offended one. He was the one that had been sold. And yet, for him, it was a non-factor anymore. It, it, it didn't have any power to, to influence his life because he had let it go. But what he comes back to them is, is really important. He says, am I in the place of God? You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. In other words, your intent was to destroy but God had other plans for my life. And somewhere in the hurt of whatever has taken place in regard to our own lives, there, the increase of faith, so to speak, is the opening of the door to say, God is able to use this for value, even though someone intended to destroy me with it. God is able to take this negative experience and this horrific thing and turn it for value. And I will trust him with it. I will rely on his goodness. I will trust his faithfulness beyond what I see happening through this person. And so Joseph comes back to his brothers and says, don't fear. In other words, don't let this consume you. I will provide for you, and I love this, and for your little ones. 
In other words, even the innocents that are associated with you, I'm going to take care of them as well. Not just going to show forgiveness to you, but it extends to your family. Anyone connected with you. Powerful, powerful story. In 2 Corinthians, Paul had uh, addressed the Corinthian believers earlier regarding a particular sin in their midst, an ugly thing. And he said, you've got to deal with this. And apparently they did. But the, the man that they confronted was remorseful. He said, I was wrong. And Paul writes back to him and says, um, if anyone's caused pain, he caused it, not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely, to all of you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. And so he's addressing the community and saying, we have a responsibility, not just individually, but we have a responsibility as a community to be a forgiving people and to re-embrace as much as possible. And if we see a true repentance, there's a responsibility to respond to that. We see a turn of the heart and a, a sorrow that says, this, this wasn't good and what I did was wrong. Then as a community, there's a responsibility to bring back in as well. Colossians says this, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness and humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another, and if one is a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. So we, we look at that and we say, Lord, increase our faith. Help us to truly release our own sin in you. you know, well, we know we've done wrong, but to recognize that you truly do forget. You truly do release. And then help us to, as a people, also be releasing of others. The only way that you're going to walk in health in regard to past experiences and events is to be able to release, to forget. That's why in the new heaven and the new earth, don't even remember what a powerful, wonderful thing that is. But why not start living it now? You know, to act like heaven now and to allow ourselves to be washed and cleansed but also to extend that to those around. I release. Stand with me, will you? I'm going to ask the worship team to come back. For some of you, this is the second week in a row we've hit a topic like this. And even in this meeting, it's been hit a couple times, a couple different ways. I assume that it's time for some of you to release and be released. Yeah. It might be that a family member has said, 
I hate you for what you've done, and I don't want to let you go. I'll never forgive you. As long as you've done your part to set that straight, you don't have to carry that anymore. You do what you can to restore, but you have the right to let that thing go. Some of you may need to go to the family member and say, I was wrong, I sinned, this was wicked, and I know it hurts you. And it's appropriate to go do that. Irregardless of their response. But that you might know that you've done what you can to restore a relationship. Then the body that may happen as well. But God, you forgive us. It's your nature to do so. Let that be our nature as well. Praise the Lord.